Good morning. Welcome, everyone. If you're online, thank you, and thanks for joining us. Uh, we're in, as you know, as mentioned, in the unbelievable series. We're in the fourth book of Galatians, and uh, it's my, I guess, second time, if you count this morning already, um, preaching, you know, here. So, so give me a little bit of grace if I look at my notes, but. Uh, you know, I really trust that, that the Lord has given me a word that will hopefully bless you. And so, you know, let's just start off with a, a word of prayer. Father God, we just humbly come before you, Lord. We know that your holy presence has been here. We've felt your, your spirit already through worship, Lord. And we just invite your presence to fill this place. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, we want to hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as I prepared for the message today, uh, I saw a story that caught my attention. And it was of a young boy uh, avidly watching as his father, who was a pastor, prepared the sermon. And they're in the study, and the the son is just just staring and watching dad. And at some point, he just kind of asks a question. He says, dad, how do you know what to write? And the father just very quickly responds, well, son, the Lord tells me what to write. The son gets a puzzled look on his face and he says, then why are you crossing out so many things? (laughs) So I definitely had that feeling as I was preparing, uh, thinking through the sermon. But, you know, I I just, I I really, what I wanted to do was was give you three words. The three bullet points, if you're taking notes, you can kind of, Mark those down. They'll be my my main points today. And there's three words. Inheritance, influences, and intentions. Those are going to be the three main points. The Apostle Paul kind of divide. you know, you can divide up Galatians 4 into three sections. And each one has a theme. And so I'm going to try to break down those three different sections. The first centers on inheritance. It's a theme that ties in with earlier chapters, and if you recall previously, John has has so powerfully reminded us that we are children of God. And as his children, we're his heirs. We have an inheritance. We just have to claim it. It's free. Can you turn in your Bibles to Galatians 4, starting at verse 7? If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Galatians 4, 7 says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Can you say that after me? God has made me his heir. God has made me his heir. So as an heir, you have an inheritance. The question is, again, have you claimed it? It's a free gift. It's not a scam. It's, it's not an email offering a lucrative business opportunity from an associate in a country you've never heard of. As I was thinking about this, I wondered, you know, how many other things are there that go unclaimed? 
There's an interesting statistic. The National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators, I, of course, never heard of them before. Um, they estimate that $43 billion of assets are unclaimed right now in the United States. People just didn't know that they had the money. They didn't claim it. So it sits in an account and waits. But if we bring it down to more of a spiritual level, the Barna Group in 2016 did a survey that found that only 31% of Americans were practicing Christians. With population today in the United States in 2018, that means there's 225 million people just in the United States that have not claimed or potentially have not claimed their inheritance. You know, it's a really simple thing to do. I think sometimes we make it much more complicated than it needs to be. Romans 10.9 lays out two simple steps. Openly declare Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you will be saved. It's really that simple. It's not something that you need to wait to do until you're good enough. It's not something that you, you have to wait for that right moment to do. So if you're here and you haven't claimed your inheritance, you can do it right now, where you see it sit. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess that he was raised from the dead. It's that simple. If you do that, I'd love to talk to you after. You can see me at the door. I just, I'd love to talk to you and, and give you some more resources. But, you know, I... I made that decision at the age of three. I remember, uh, I don't remember specifically what I did, but I did something, I'm sure, that was, was not particularly um, what I was supposed to do. It was probably a theme at the time. Maybe it was a theme even after that. Um, but I sat down on the bed one night with my mom, and we had this conversation, and I realized that I, I was doing things that I didn't want to do. I didn't feel like I control, could control myself. I was, I was doing bad things, and I wanted to be free of that. And I, I won't say that I'm free of it, but that moment, I remember very distinctly that I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and I claimed my inheritance on that day. And I know that I know that I know that I have taken hold of that free gift. It's mine, and the joy fills me. So, again, please don't leave without claiming that free inheritance. The second theme that Paul highlights is a recurring theme in the whole book of Galatians, and it concerns influences. We can build on anything, really. You know, there are many things that influence us, and we can build our faith on many things. But we want to build our faith on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The Galatians had allowed others to come in, and after Paul had visited and provided them with the truth, they allowed others to come in and whisper and, and slowly bring in other influences and add to that gospel. And John has talked about this before. They were straying from that message, and they were falling into legalism. Can you turn with me to Galatians 4, verse 19? Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. 
Paul clearly feels a deep pain. You know, I haven't felt childbirth. I experienced watching Holly go through it twice. It's, it's painful. It's about as, as excruciating a pain as I've ex- experienced watching someone else. So Paul's equating this pain that he feels for the Galatians to that. So the question is, who is your faith built on? Is it built on the solid rock, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ? Why do you believe what you believe? Is it because John King said so? Because I said so? Maybe your favorite podcast said so? Your family said so? Your church says so? See, all those things, they're people, they're organizations, and ultimately, they'll fail. They'll let you down. But two things cannot fail. Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Those are firm foundations that we can build our faith on. You know, as I studied some of the the statistics, I felt those labor pains that Paul was talking about. I mentioned that 2016 Barna group study. There's a few more statistics that really caught my attention. 19% of Christians who self-identify as born again have a biblical worldview. It's seven questions. I read the seven questions. They're pretty basic. Is Satan a real being? Or just a figurative thing? Is there one way to heaven or many? These are basic concepts. But 19% of people who already identify as Christians can't answer all seven correctly in accordance with Scripture. That's 9% of the American population. Three in ten practicing Christians strongly agree, not just agree, but strongly agree that all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. It's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. But it's crept into society. All roads lead to heaven. It doesn't matter who you pray to as long as you pray. Just believe in something. We've all heard these things, but it doesn't line up with Scripture. It's not truth. So have we let those things creep in to our thinking? 30% of Christians have in the United States. 37% couldn't identify the Great Commission from three other verses. It's difficult to live out the Great Commission if you don't know the Scripture, if you can't quote it. But perhaps most sobering of all, this statistic just really blew my mind. Between the age of 18 and 23 years old, It's a generation that's right now maybe called the Mosaic generation. 
between 18 and 23, instead of 9%, it was 0.5%. 0.5% of people from 18 to 23 in this survey had a biblical worldview. That's our children, our youth. It's shocking. It gave me pain as a, as a parent. It made me hurt. But I can tell you that in this house, we will not allow that to happen. That's why John is, is teaching. That's why he's modeling that for us. I didn't know that he was going to do that when I prepared these notes. But it's his passion to see the next generation raised up with biblical truth, with a knowledge of Jesus Christ, claiming that inheritance, ready to go out into the world. It's why I've volunteered with children's ministries since I was a teen. It's why I still do today. It's vitally important. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't feel that you can, if you feel like you're not equipped to deal with children, it's okay. Because when you look in Scripture, God rarely uses people who feel like they've got it all together. It's His glory when we don't know how to do it. So again, my heart cry is that all of our young people, all of our youth, are grounded in scriptural principles, that they know the truth, that they don't just know the truth, but that they can teach others, that they can witness, that they can share their faith. And that comes through intentional discipleship. It comes through doing it at home. It comes through the church coming alongside parents, providing resources, and we are going to do that. We want to see not less than one in a hundred prepared, but 100 of 100 prepared. You know, when I left high school, I had, I'd had a Christian education. I was prepared um, in many ways. But I went to college, and it was a tough experience. My first semester, I, I took a theology class. It was a Christian-affiliated university. Um, but this theology class started day one. And the professor introduced himself and said, I have two doctorate degrees, one in divinity and one in Eastern religions. And throughout the class, his main premise was to open our, our ideas and to give us the, the expanded view that there were many, many different religions and many different ways to happiness and fulfillment and ultimately maybe heaven. There were two students in the class, myself and one other, who throughout the class con consistently used scripture to defend our beliefs. The rest of the class answered questions with phrases like, my parents taught me, or my church believes, or my pastor says. But those arguments were ultimately not very good, they weren't personalized. They weren't their personal beliefs, and they weren't grounded in Scripture. 
They were grounded in sand that shifted and shook under the weight of this professor and his attacks. Ultimately, I watched so many classmates leave more confused, more questioning than they entered that theology class. It was a sobering experience, and it's one that I don't want to repeat with any young person at this church. For that matter, I don't want it to repeat with any adult. You have plenty of opportunities as you witness, as you interact with other people. Maybe it's the person that sits next to you at work. Maybe it's somebody at that restaurant drive-thru you know, that asks that question, that tough question that you don't know how to answer. I just want to encourage you, and it really ties into our, our next point. The Holy Spirit is the way to answer those questions. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, don't get me wrong, you, you must memorize Scripture. I think it's vitally important. Study God's Word. Spend time in the Word. You have to put it in for the Holy Spirit to be able to, to draw it out easily. Line up everything with Scripture that you hear. But it's important to have Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to our next point, point three, intentions. We need to surrender to Holy Spirit. You know, our intentions, they can be human intentions or they can be spirit-led intentions. In Philippians 3, Paul describes his human qualifications. You know, as a Pharisee, as a, as a very devout Jew. The qualifications that, if anyone could, would give confidence in, their, in human effort. And as I read through that, you know, the Lord just spoke to me, and I, I thought I would modernize Paul's qualifications a little bit and give a little bit of my testimony. You know, I was dedicated to God before our church on the 10th day after I was born. I've been told my first distinguishable word was Bible. I received Christ at the age of three, was taught the word of God from birth. My earliest memories are of seeing gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. I received a Christian education I was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit as a teen. I've kissed only one woman, and she's still the love of my life, and she's still embarrassed. I've never sown wild oats or fallen away in rebellion. I've faithfully served in my local church and stand before you as one of the elders here at Riverside. But like Paul, I'll tell you that all those accomplishments... They're meaningless. They mean nothing in the context of what Christ has done for me. I am a sinner. I struggle. I'm tempted. You hear John say that, and sometimes maybe you, you look at him and you think, oh, he's just saying that. No, it's real. We struggle. The elders struggle. We share our problems with each other. We hold each other accountable. We're tempted just like you. None of those accomplishments, none of those things, none of those qualifications allow me to make it on my own. It's only by the power of Holy Spirit. All of us have a choice. We can live with human intentions 
or we can be spirit-led. Can you turn to Galatians 4, 28 and 29? And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. If you go back and you maybe remember your, your Bible history a little bit, Isaac is a son of Abraham. Abraham was given a promise You know, Abraham and Sarah, they were childless, and I think probably on the order of, you know, 40 or 50 years removed from menopause at this point, Sarah is saying, Abraham, I don't think it's in the cards for us to have a child. I know God said that I'm going to have a child, but I don't see how that's physically possible. It's just not, my body's not capable of doing this. But... Abraham had received this promise that Sarah would bear a child and that a nation would be built from from that child. So Sarah and Abram, they got a little impatient, decided that they were going to help God out. And in their human intentions, Abraham conceived Ishmael with Sarah's maidservant. Ishmael, you know, he he ended up being a thorn in the side of Israel. And to this day, his descendants continue to be a thorn in the side of Israel. Muslim traditions trace back a lineage all the way to Ishmael. So Abraham had a choice at that time. He could trust God or he could strike out on his own and try to do his own thing. Now, in the end, God still... Um, fulfilled the promise. Isaac was born miraculously to Sarah. Her body shouldn't have been able to do it, but she, she did. She conceived and she bore a child in her 90s. We read in Genesis 22 that Isaac had grown up some, and Abraham was praying one day. The Lord came and said, Abram, I need you to sacrifice Isaac to me as a burnt offering at a mountain that I'm going to show you a ways off. And as a parent, I read that and I think, I wouldn't probably deal with that too well. But you know, Abram, it says, he got up early in the morning the next day and he set out with a couple servants and Isaac with all the wood necessary for this fire, but no sacrifice, no lamb. They traveled for three days, and afar off, Abram saw the place that God was was drawing him to, and said, servants, wait here. He took Isaac with him. They moved towards the mountain, and Isaac, Isaac questioned. He said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? See, Isaac knew what was going on. They got to the mountain, and it says that Abram bound Isaac and put him on the altar. Now, in some of the children's storybooks, you'll see like this, you know, infant child being put on the altar. But it also says in Scripture that Isaac carried all of the wood for the burnt offering that would completely consume a lamb or a ram. 
So a lot of Bible scholars, though we're not told how old he was at this time, believe that he was probably between his teens and his 30s. We know that he was no older than 30 because his mother died when he was in his 30s. So the question is, could Isaac, strapping young man, maybe in his late teens, early 20s, could he have overpowered his hundred and some year old father? Said, Dad, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not going to get sacrificed today. I think he could have. But I believe Paul has left us a clue here. Isaac was a willing sacrifice. He went along with it. He had faith in God that God would provide. I think he could have very easily overpowered his dad. I think he could have very easily taken control of the situation. But instead, he allowed himself to be put on the altar. And, and ultimately, God stopped Abram and provided a ram. And that was the, the end of that particular story. But it, it also, I think, is a very fitting model of what ended up happening with Jesus. You know, the father sent his only son, who was the ultimate sacrifice, for our sins. When we look at Romans 12.1, if you could turn there. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, Paul knew when he talked about intentions. He talked about human intent, but the way that we sacrifice that human intent is ultimately to sacrifice our whole self as a living sacrifice to God. In Matthew, Jesus puts it a little differently. Matthew 10, 39. It says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. You see, as an early teen, I recall an experience where I clung to my life. Not in the sense you might think. I wasn't threatened in any way. It's was just a pastor at the front, praying over people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I ran and hid in, the hid in the bathroom. There's something inside of me that was deathly afraid. A feeling I can't explain. It wasn't logical. I mean, this, this man and his wife, they were my parents' spiritual parents. They both, both of my parents received salvation and baptism of the Holy Spirit at their house. They met through them. I probably wouldn't exist were it not for this couple. But there was something inside me that said, I don't want to give up control to Holy Spirit. What if Holy Spirit sends me to some far-off mission field, someplace I don't want to go? What if Holy Spirit makes me pick a career that I don't want to pick? What if it makes me give up something that I want? These were things that were going through the mind of that early teenager as I sat on the toilet and pondered how long it would take for 
service to get over. You know, my father even came in and said, Jonathan, are you okay? You should really come out and be prayed for. You know, it was the Holy Spirit again trying to nudge me, trying to get me my attention, trying to bring me in. But I was stubborn. I sat there. My heart was pounding out of my chest, and I was just waiting for that final song and for things to be over, to hear the, the crowd out in the hallway so I could escape that bathroom. Some of you today may feel that same thing. You may be wondering, if I surrender to Holy Spirit, will he make me do something I, want to, I don't want to do? Well, all I can tell you is, is my story. I could tell you that a couple years later, I made that surrender on a day just a few, a few years later, and I would never, ever, ever go back. Holy Spirit is amazing, wonderful. You will not be failed by Holy Spirit. But it's not just a one-time thing. This sacrifice I'm talking about, it's something you have to do every day because yourself, you can't completely kill yourself. The part of you, that, that human in, intent, that human intent we talked about, it keeps coming back. Until glory, it won't be gone. So every day, you have to make that intentional sacrifice, that intentional living sacrifice. Give yourself to the Holy Spirit and give yourself to the Lord. And that's the only way to have the unbelievable life that Paul talks about in Galatians. So I challenge you to sacrifice yourself. Be that sacrifice. Die to yourself. You know, we, taught, we, we sang a song earlier about resurrection. As we sang that in first service, the Lord put this thought in my heart. You know, it says in Scripture that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection force that rolled away the stone brought Christ back from the dead from a gruesome death, brought him back to life. That same power resides in us. So when we sacrifice ourselves, he is the resurrecting power that brings us back to life in the Spirit. So sacrifice yourself and be resurrected. You know, today, some of you may, may not have heard of Holy Spirit before. Maybe some of you have heard of Holy Spirit, but you're the same, same as that, that teenager. You haven't made that step forward and said, Holy Spirit, fill me, baptize me. I want to die to myself. I want to live for you. Maybe you've done that and you just don't feel quite that same passion. Maybe there's just a, a sense of, you know, I want, I want more. Maybe you're like Elisha and you say, you know what, Lord, I've got a lot, but I want more. I want you to just look at these three words on our screen. Think about these three points. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Have you claimed your inheritance? 
Have you built your faith on Christ alone? Are there influences that you maybe need to, to eliminate? Are you surrendered to Holy Spirit? The worship team's going to come out and we're going to sing a couple more songs. And I don't want you to leave yet. I'll come back out when we're done with the songs and I'll, I'll dismiss you in prayer. But I just want you to take a few minutes while we're singing and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because no matter how many words I say, I can't speak to every single individual that's here today in the situation that you're in, but the Holy Spirit can. And I know that you're going to be blessed if you take that step of faith and you die a little bit more to self. The altar's open. If you want to come down here and stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to stay at your seat, just don't be that teenage boy that escaped in that to avoid Holy Spirit and all his life. Don't leave this place with your heart beating in your chest and look back and wish that you'd Come on down.